0: Nobody lives forever, but your legacy does. Follow me, G. Scott, on this journey to discover how some of our most influential public figures plan to leave their legacy on this world. Rainier Beach is where he played his game, and Seattle is why you know his name. Three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, 20 years in the NBA, I call him the Satchel Page of the NBA. And I'm telling you right now, I've been a fan of his for some time. Jamal Crawford joins the podcast, Leaving a Legacy. Jamal, thank you for joining us, brother.
1: No problem. I'm honored to be here. That's a heck of an introduction, man. <laughs> it's going
0: <to> be good. <laughs> man, look, first of all, I got to take you back and I got to share something with you. 23 years ago this month, You were a senior in high school. I had just moved here to Seattle. My first weekend was the the tournament that you, the MLK game that you played in on that Monday. You were the first high school player that I ever saw play in here, the city of Seattle.
1: What's crazy about that, G, and and not to deviate too far off topic, but Steve Ballmer, I met him I guess 2008 or nine. And he told me the same thing. He said the first high school game he ever attended was to see me play at the MLK tournament, which is unbelievable going back. Like, that, who told you to come? Or you just was checking out the scene? Or what was
0: going on? They said, I asked, because I was doing door-to-door sales back then. And I said, you know, I want to go see some basketball around. They got some basketball. They said, yo, you got to go see this young buck by the name of Jamal Crawford. He's nice. And the crazy part is I said, wow. Now I'm from Chicago now. I'm from Chicago. There's real hoop that goes on here now. Y'all
1: come with it. Y'all come with it, J.
0: But you, I had to find out like, wait a minute. They really play basketball here. So, and to think that you went from there. You played in college, and then you go and play for my hometown, for the Bulls as a rookie. So it was already set up,
1: man. That's why I'm saying I know you know the Chicago culture better than anybody, obviously, being from there. And then I experienced it as a rookie. Like, I was really playing in IIT in the summer. I was really playing uh, in the Icky's projects. I was really playing, working out with Michael Jordan and all those wonderful things. And and Chicago took me from – a boy to a young man. I learned so much on and off the court. Just the culture and how genuine the people are and how deep-rooted the Bulls are and how they, how they, what they mean to the community. And just Chicago in itself. And it's amazing jumping around a little bit. Derek Rose, who's a close friend of mine and one of my favorite players is like from Chicago. And he epitomizes what Chicago basketball and being from Chicago is all about. And we always talk about that as well. So that was a special city. I grew up a Bulls fan anyway. Just watching the Bulls. Michael Jordan being my favorite player I could tell you everything about every player on their team from BJ Armstrong to when Bobby Hansen was there to Pete Myers, like because I, I discovered their team out of my love for MJ. And so to get an opportunity to play there fresh out of college, a year removed from high school, the dream come true.
0: Well, you in Chicago, you're there as a rookie. You just brought up the name. Michael Jordan, who really needs no introduction in the world. And you know how Chicago gets about Mike. We as serious about Mike as we are about Harold's chicken or some deep dish pizza. Now, no I need to ask this. <laughs> what, what, how did that come about? How did that relationship start off with the GOAT, Michael Jordan?
1: So my dad told me when I was going through the draft process, he was like, man, I'm here. Michael Jordan likes your game, man. I'm telling you, you're going to be all right. And this is before social media. This ain't where you can reach out to Michael Jordan make statements or, you know, something like that. What are you talking about? You don't know Michael Jordan, right? Not Michael Jeffrey Jordan. You may know Michael, you know, Horton down the street. You don't know Michael Jordan. So fast forward, I get drafted by Chicago, and I knew his trainer, Tim Grover. And Tim Grover, uh, we had, you know, hit it off and, you know, been around each other, and he hit me one morning. He's like, hey, come down to the gym right now. MJ said he, you can meet him. I'm like, what? This is, gee, we, have, we play that day, so we had shoot around like 10 or 11. He called me at 6 in the morning. I get down there by 7. By the time I get to the gym, which is Hoops the Gym, which was downtown, it was MJ in the weight room, Tim Grover and myself. And number one, I'm shell-shocked because it's the GOAT. I've never seen him before in person. I've only dreamed about meeting him. I've only emulated his moves. I've only, you know, studied his whole story. So when it's S3 in the weight I'm trying to stay quiet. You know, he's working out in the midst of that. He's talking in between doing sets. And I'll never forget, I walked in, and he was doing this defensive slide drill. He had been to the gym since 6 in the morning. He was 40 years old, prepping for a comeback to the Wizards. So right there, I'm like, oh, he's working. There's no secret why he is who he is. Like, look, look what he's doing. So anyways, we start talking. He's like, yo, he's like, you know, I know you're in season right now. He said, but, you know, this summer, if you're here, you can work out with me. And I'm like, what? I'm like, all right. So a little more conversation, I leave. Um, I call everybody back home. Everybody. But you know, like I know, Seattle is two hours behind. So when I leave there at 7.45, it's 5.45 in the morning here. Nobody's really up. So I got to contain my excitement. And, you know, I tell some of my teammates when I get to shoot around. Fast forward to that summer, I actually get a chance to work out with him. And while I'm working out with him, he's teaching me different things. He's like, yo, you're going to be on my team. So we were on teams together in pickup for two straight years and never lost one game. And gee, when I say one game, I don't mean like we didn't we won five that day and they won four and we won the day. We didn't lose one single game within that day for two straight years. We never lost. And it was just unbelievable. And it was crazy because you had so many people come from Penny to Charles Barkley to Tip Hardaway, Antoine Walker, Mike Finley, all the Chicago guys, Q Rich, D. Miles, like all those Chicago guys, and so many people were coming because this was his comeback. So he was prepping for the comeback. You know, what I mean, just like at Space Jam, when he was coming back, at everybody came out there and play. Right, Same right. Same situation. Right. We had referees, everything. So just seeing his greatness and seeing what made him tick, and then he's like, "Yo, come to my house." I'm like what? Michael Jordan told me to come to his house, right? So our friendship really took off, and it's carried over to today, and we still talk.
0: So let me ask you this. There's many, everybody has Michael Jordan stories. You got Michael Jordan stories. What is your greatest takeaway? What is the one thing, you can only take one thing away from your relationship with Michael Jordan, that beginning of meeting Michael Jordan, from working out with Michael Jordan, what is your greatest takeaway of being with the GOAT?
1: How driven he is. Some people are motivated, G. Some people are motivated. They, want, they have their goals. They want to do this. They want to do that. They want to accomplish great things. He was driven. His past motivated. Like, it was something else. I've never seen anything like it. The game I didn't play with him was, which was the first time I went. He lost, and he went and sat in the corner like his, his, like his dog died. It's a pickup game. And I'm like, whoa, Like <laughs> this is different. Like, he's so competitive. And he was just – his love of the game – And how driven he was are the two things that stood out the most. It didn't matter what it was, competition, it was always on. He never turned it off. I don't care if it's a pickup game. I don't care if it's 20,000 people, 50,000 people. He never turned it off. And so that's what stood out to me. And just how driven he was. I'll never forget that. It didn't matter what the moment was, who was there watching, just how driven he was. Like, he – was competing against himself, but he truly wanted to be the greatest version of himself every single day, whether nobody was there watching, whether everybody was there watching, just how driven he was. That's, that's probably the main thing I took from him.
0: Ma, let's go back to the beginning on the day that you figured out that you were good in basketball and okay. how in the world did you get so good at basketball?
1: I think, to be honest with you, I I played basketball, football, and baseball. I started all three at the same time. 14, right? So I was eight years old, eight, nine-year-olds. I started football. I had great hands, but I didn't want to get hit. I would play receiver for a little bit. I'm like, no, this ain't going to stick. I played baseball, actually, a couple years longer. So a lot of people don't know that. I played pitcher and shortstop. But basketball was so natural to me, I'll never forget. I've had a basketball in my hand since I was two years old. My father played at the University of Oregon, so I've always been around the game. But I'll never forget when I played for my first club team at eight years old. The coach, Coach Bugs, he was like, two line layups, you know. So everybody gets in line. We're eight years old. We're trying to do line layups, two-line layups. And it's a true story. I went behind my back and did a reverse, now they call it jelly, but I did a reverse, we call it dipsy do layup, backhand finish, and the kids were looking at me like I was an alien. I was eight years old. And so from that moment on, I just always, always was driven to be better, like driven to get the most out of it. I just had a, a love that was so, so deep for the game that you can't even explain it. You can't explain it. I mean, you don't play 20 years unless you're that in love with something. It's not about the money at that point. It's not about the fame. It's not about any of that. You, you have to be so in love with this thing. And I love basketball before anything. So for me, um, eight years old is where it started. And I knew I was good at the end. And I had a period where I was just working on my game, working on my game, playing. And I need my confidence to come against the, the best competition. And that happened when I turned 16.
0: Now, I know this is tough for you. This podcast don't last that long. And, look, I fall in love with this city, too. I didn't leave. I've been here for 23 years now. You know what I mean? So I've been right. here. But who – this opportunity to shout out maybe some of the people. And you can't get that many, but some of the people that really – were really instrumental in you being where you are today.
1: My mom and dad, obviously, my sisters, my family. And then outside of my family, obviously my grandparents, let me say them. But outside of that, Coach Alfred Love, uh, Coach Mike Bethia, Doug Christie, Gary Payton, Eric Goodwin, J.R. Harris, um, Cornelius Beaumet, and then I think my my close circle of friends, Dave King, Will Conroy, my nephew Anthony those are like the closest people to me and they've all helped me along this journey. Dave Hudson who moved away in Atlanta, but yeah, I can't forget him. The rest in peace, uh, Fred Massey who just passed, he was instrumental as I got older as well. So yeah, I, I would definitely say those core people are the ones who kind of set the tone for me.
0: Ever since I've moved here, I have tried to explain to people that don't live in Seattle who've never lived here or seen basketball here in Seattle, I've tried to explain Seattle basketball and it's hard, right? Like hard. it really it's is hard. because it's tough to explain because where I'm from in Chicago, like, I mean, everybody can play, right? but not everybody can get to the league. Right. There's so much NBA talent that comes from here and more upcoming talent that's coming from here. Help me and everyone else explain Seattle basketball, Ma. So,
1: there was a lot of talented Seattle players before it was me. Like, I get a lot of credit, I think, but there was people before me. And at the time, opportunity just wasn't there. The AAU scene wasn't really out there like that. So people knew about you locally, but they didn't know about you across the country. Right? And then we had a lot of talented players who just didn't get the grades. Then we had other players who were good enough, got the grades, but didn't believe that their talent could take them further than just a JUCO or a low D1. So when I was coming out, if you went Division One, Jason Terry going to Arizona, Doug Christie going to Pepperdine. Like, that was, like, game-changers. Because at that time, the NBA wasn't really a thought. It was like, you know what? We can make it out of here. We can get our school paid for. We can go to college that people back home can see us on TV. That was the win. That was the end goal. So when I came up, I'm like, nah, that's not my end goal. Like, I got my eye way down the road, right? And so going to Division I, obviously, is part of the process. But that wasn't my end goal. I was like, nah, I can make it. And I started believing I could make it when I was 16, when Doug Christie uh, allowed me to work out with him. I didn't have his phone number, G. I didn't, I didn't have none of that. He just said, you know what? You got a game. You meet me at the gym at 7 o'clock. I'll be outside the gym at 6 o'clock waiting for him all the way in Federal Way. I'm in Seattle. So sometimes I had to catch a bus. Sometimes I had to drive a car with no, uh, no three-day trip permit, so I'm driving dirty out there. But whatever it took, and he saw my focus. And he said, man, this kid, I'm in the NBA. Doug Christie said, I'm in the NBA. This kid hasn't asked me for a dollar or my phone. He just wants me to teach him how to fish, basically. Don't give me the fish. Teach me how to fish. And so that was life-changing for me. When I had a pro, and then Gary Payton came to make Sean Kemp, they start playing my high school games and really support me. When I had that at 16, that was a game changer. And they said, you can make it. And I'm playing in the pro-ams against these guys and have a lot of success. That was it. So I'm like, oh, that's it. And for that reason, I think when that happened and I made it and I'm always accessible, I'm always home, now kids in high school is like, Jamal's right here with us. If he can make it, I can make it. And that really spearheaded a whole movement, right? There's an eighth grade kid right now who can text Zach with me or text me or text Isaiah or text DeJounte Murray and ask for advice or watch film. What do you see here? And we're all so accessible that it's, it's, it's raising the next generation of players because we're all there. We're not like the crabs in the bucket where, hey, I got it. Hey, this is it. I'm going to keep it to myself. Like, no, I got this knowledge. I got to give it to you. Now you got to give it to the next person and just spearhead. It. And that's why this movement is how it is. So I'm partly responsible for that part. But, yeah.
0: Well, since we're talking about the next level of things, uh, recently I saw your excitement that you have now when you get up on Saturday mornings when it's time to coach. It used to be you playing, and, and it, what was cool about that is this. I'm a dad. My kids are older. Now I'm seeing you and the, coaching the kids. And, of course, Will Conroy has his son out there who I keep seeing amazing videos on. I, 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 I have the
1: honor of coaching him as well, so that's fun.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bruh, tell, me, tell me what that's like. Tell me the difference in the excitement of coaching as opposed to you doing your thing playing.
1: Jim, the crazy part is, and this is honest to God true, like I said before, like I always have a vision for things. Like I always have spoke things into existence. I've always had a vision for how things played out. So how the NBA stuff played out for me didn't surprise me because I envisioned this since I was a kid. I was good being the parent who was just at the games keeping score. Like I was good with that. I'll keep score every game. You know, nobody else wants to do it. I'm like, all oh, right, I get a chance to lock in, watch the game, keep score, I'm fine. Keep the fouls, everything. Keep the clock, whatever you need me to do. Coaching is my favorite thing to do, and I'm going to tell you why. I've gotten opportunities to go play. I've gotten opportunities to be a GM or be in the front office. I should say not a GM, but be in the front office for seven different teams. I've got an opportunity to go commentate and, and go talk on ESPN or TNT or whatever it might be. There is nothing that comes in front of me coaching right now. I get excited for practice. I truly like I, I love these kids so much. I'm so invested in it. Our, our whole practice is so detailed. To the minute, all the way down on what we're working on, how we're getting better. We're watching film. We watched film yesterday at practice, and that's my number one thing to do. And the, the crazy part is I didn't see that for myself. And that's why it throws me off guard every time I think about it. Like it's the greatest joy. I would rather do that than go forward. And I still got game, I promise you. And I love to play. And I never thought I would have something that could replace that feeling. But this coaching is like, there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. And I get the opportunity to coach my son and my nephew, right, and Will Conroy Jr., along with all these other kids who I've seen for the last three or four years. And we have a few new ones that have came. I love all of them. Like, and it's, it's nothing I'd rather do, period, period.
0: You, you mentioned um, being accessible, and mm-hmm. let me just share this with you. Um, over the years, I've just got to see you. I see you in the off season um, and renting LA Fitness. I come in yeah. there and just watch, you know what I'm saying? All after right. between my sets working out. And I've constantly have just been in awe of how you have always come back to this city and just stay with this city. And I feel like you are a huge example but now I have to ask, why? Now, I know you're going to give me the run around. Like, but there has to be something that said, I'm going to always come back for my city. Yes.
1: You know, it's, I'm going to flip it. Gee, I never left. Even when I was at Michigan, I never left. I was here all summer. Even when I was with the Bulls, I was here all summer. When I was with New York, I was here all summer. So I never truly left. I was always connected. I was always Uh, having camps. I was always talking to kids, not just in my high school, but the younger generation or other high schools, whoever needed me for anything, I was there and still am here. And that's why I think our love for each other are parallel. You know what I mean? So it's not like, like, I feel like I want see out of everything. Like, you asked me earlier the people that really meant the most to me and helped me on this journey. But I can tell you stories of people who helped me that didn't have a a home. Like, this is me in the NBA. This is me as a kid growing up as a top high school star. They didn't help me necessarily with riches. They helped me with knowledge. Like, so they helped me so many different ways. Everybody in the city that I've come in contact with has helped me as well. And I'm I'm very appreciative of that. And I think it's my duty to pay it forward. And so for me, I've always been like this with the city, hand in glove. It was never almost gone. He forgot about us. It was whenever I was gone working or, or playing or chasing my own dream. I felt like I was repping Seattle, number one. Like I was all I had the spacing, you know, i, like, okay, I spacing a attached to me on my hand, right? Like, so no matter what, like, this was always a part of me, no matter where I went. If I was in Chicago, my, my clock stayed on Seattle time, as I like to say. It was Pacific time, but I stayed on Seattle, right? Like, I've always been connected, I've never left. And I just felt like I owed that to Seattle because they helped raise me, truly. like I, People would tell you stories about me, like when I was a kid, just dribbling down the street. Or somebody, oh, little Jamal, yeah, there's his ball as can. Like people in community centers, people, tutors. Like somebody has played a part in this, and I owe everybody that helped, everything. And the ones I didn't meet, I owe them too because there's another generation of people coming up, and I'm trying to show them to do it the right way.
0: You scored 51 points in a game, man, just, just two years <laughs> ago in 2019. Yeah. Right. I know you can still play. I'm watching you still play the game. Bro, what is the key to how good of a shape you played in? You was doing that in year 20, scoring 51.
1: What's the secret? Stay in love with it. Uh, When you stay in love with a G like that, you'll do what's needed. You don't always feel like in a uh, massage or cold tub or doing yoga or, you know, a phone rolling or, like, you don't always want to eat right. You don't always want to do those things. But if the end goal is to be at your very best or the best you can be at, you're going to do it. You're willing to sacrifice. And along this journey there's a lot of sacrifice. But you can't do any of that if you don't stay in love with your craft. And I used to dream. Man, I used to dream, dream, dream. I hope you feel this how I'm saying. I used to dream about being on that court. Like I used to be the kid like, you know what? I ain't got no money, but I'll pay the NBA if they let me play one game out there. Because I want to show my talent to the world. I want to play against the best players in the world. Some of the best ever. I want to be on that stage. And so for me, that was it. I never took that for granted. I was never jaded by that. And I've always been connected within. Personally, I've always been connected to that kid that was chasing that same dream. So, you know, I've just always given everything to it.
0: When you see the NBA game right now, compared to when you first got into the league uh, in the year uh, 99, 2000, no, the year 2000, your rookie season, How's the game changed to you? How has the game uh, changed from the time that you first stepped foot in the league to where you see it at today?
1: It's less physical. Um, the stuff that I got criticized for, the people before me, Allen Iverson, Stephon Walker, a point guard at that time was taught. Be a point guard, get the guys going kind of like a quarterback, you know, get them the ball, be the leader. Now your point guards asked to score more than anything. Like, I'm eighth all-time in threes, G, and the three-point shot was like a weapon back then when I came in, right? Now the three-point shot is, is you have to have it. It's just part of the – that's the the main part of the meal. You have to have this, right? And so for me, watching the game evolve where a guy, a role player, can take 13, 14 threes in a game and not get criticized, is like mind-blowing. So that part of it has changed – um guys are really really skilled now guys are getting trainers at young ages my first trainer was the guy in the park who was drinking a 40 in between games you know just the old guy like right you know no man you got to cut you better make this shot you ain't supposed to be out here you're 13 years old you know you may have to sit two hours out there just to uh get a run in to play against the older guys and that's how you got better right so the games change in so many different ways social media has made the world so much smaller. i remember going to school and Alan Iverson had his crossover, right? I would wait in the computer lab for eight minutes, ten minutes, just to see a 10-second clip of his while it was loaded. Now everything's on your phone. You can watch everything. You can see how NBA players are training and see what they're doing now. It's different. Everything was, you know, held close to the vest then. So it's changed in a lot of different ways. Some of it I like. Some of it I don't. Um, but it's still evolving. I love to see young players flourish. So I do love that. That's the consistent part for me.
0: NBA League pass. If you got that, you have an opportunity to see you and Q Rich, Quentin Richardson, born and raised in Chicago. Of yeah, course, Chicago, to see you guys do your thing, on Hooper Vision. How you liking that, man? I love I love seeing y'all, brother. I love
1: it. So, gee, the crazy part is people were asking me, hey, why don't you come on this show or that show? And I had to fly. And I said, No, I'm committed to coaching this team. So the NBA was like, yo, what if we did something you could do from home once a week? I'm like, what? So they told me, I said, I could do it from home. I gotta leave. They said, yeah, I said, oh, well, let's do that. I, no problem. Because it's really like Q and I just in the barbershop. You know what I mean? You see Eli and Peyton, they got their thing going in football and we were kind of the experiment for basketball to see how it was going. But now it's gotten such great feedback. It's taken off. We just got an extension actually, right? And so you've seen Tracy McGrady pinning Hardaway Isaiah Thomas, Kevin Durant, J. Cole, Fat Joe, uh, the legend Isaiah Thomas, Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest, and Muggsy Bogues, forgive me for Baron Davis, for anybody I've forgotten, but you've seen all these people come on the show, and you're going to see a lot more of our legends just sitting down. It's amazing when you talk to somebody, Gene, I'm sure you experience this, when you talk to somebody in the same field as you, you're more comfortable. You know what I mean? Like when these guys are talking to us versus when they're talking to just the general media, no disrespect. They get their hair down because we were in those same locker rooms. We play on the same course. We competed against each other. So it's different. We get them to relax and really just talk. We're not ever trying to do anything controversial. We're just uplifting our, our fellow legends, right, and just sitting there watching the game, learning more about them, and people are really taken
0: to it. So I'm loving it. Hey, that. look here. I talk different in the barbershop than I talk on the radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. <laughs> As <laughs> yeah. you should. Right? Like, As I should. That's how, that's how it goes. I got a couple more for you before you get out of here. My, my one question right here is I know that there is a basketball court that's named after you at Rainier Beach. The gym is named after you. Now, I know you're not asking for this, but I'm asking for it, and I think it should happen. There should be a Jamal Crawford statue in this town. So I, you're a humble dude. Let me do all the talking. You're humble. I'm going to let you do the talking, G. I'll, I'll do, the talking. do the talking. There should be a Jamal Crawford statue. Now, let's just say the powers that be say, you know what? Let's make that happen. Where exactly would you want that statue? Wow.
1: That, you know what, G? I'm not usually stumped on answers because I'm pretty well versed. But that's a great question. Where would I want that statue to be?
0: Exactly. Like, what neighborhood, what street? No, no. I want you to get specific, Jamal. I, I want I know. the street, the corner, who live across the street, who mama and them, uncle so-and-so, <laughs> everything right in that area. I would say, off the top
1: of my head, I wouldn't say my neighborhood, because they've seen my journey. right? I would think somewhere, like, somewhere by the space of you, And the reason why I say that is because it's such a landmark and people from all over, when they come, they'll say, I got to see the tall needle, right? So I would think that's something that can tell the story. And for me, especially being from Seattle and Washington, I've always tried to keep it all together, right? So people from the Central District, people from the South End, people from Tacoma, we can all enjoy this, right? It's all of ours. So I would say the Space Needle because it's the main landmark, that people know about when they don't come here. And I think they get a chance to learn more about my story. So in our story, because we all share this.
0: There it is. Jamal Crawford statue. All the people that's listening, let's make that happen. We need it right now. Don't wait for years later. Make a Jamal Crawford statue. This podcast is called Leaving Your Legacy. And the question that I ask to all of our guests is simple. Jamal Crawford, what would you want your legacy to be?
1: I want my legacy to be, he was a good basketball player, but he was a better person. And I know that sounds so cliche, but for me, that's what it was truly about the whole time. I wanted to be somebody that kids could aspire to be, but somebody that was so relatable. You know, that somebody that shows that you don't have to reach a certain place and start treating people different. You don't have to reach a certain place and start acting different. You can be your true genuine self and be that kid that's always chased whatever dream it was no matter if the world knows who you are now, you were that kid and you've always been connected to that kid because there's some kid right now that's watching your every move. There's some kid right now who you may come in contact with and you may have a last imprint on just saying hello and talking to them and they see you care about them. So for me, that what I said to initially encompasses all that. He was a great basketball player, but he was an even better person.
0: One of the greatest to ever do it, and he's still doing it. I believe that the second half of your life and career, I believe is going to be quadruple what it has already been. And I think that your legacy is being established right now. And as it continues, Jamal Crawford, the town is proud of you. I'm proud of you, man. Thank and you. thank you so much for joining the podcast, brother.
1: Thanks for always being a righteous OG too. always showing love to not only myself, but everybody in our community. Appreciate it. And your
0: sons. Ballers. Ballers. Appreciate you. That. Appreciate you, bro. My guy.